as a dairy farmer, you lose the control of your milk virtually the moment it comes out of the cow. I mean, the second it leaves that tank into the tanker, it's not your product anymore. You know, somebody can take it and do what they want. They can make the very best product in the world out of it. They can dump it in the gutter. They can do whatever they want with it. You get paid for it. Uh, you know, but there's no pride of ownership on the on the prop product. And when I was a kid, we shipped to Safeway, and we had a, a Safeway store in Modesto, so my father always made sure that my mom bought her groceries at Safeway, because Safeway paid us, so let's give back to them. So we'd all go, you know, family would go to Safeway after church on Sunday morning, we'd go to the Safeway store, and and my dad would stand in front of the milk counter, and he'd, he'd stand there, you know, and pride, you know, our milk is there. You know, I mean, from a little boy, I've always thought, I want to make something, that I want to know where it went. You know, whether it has my name on it, or my own brand, or whatever, I want to be able to walk in a store and say, that's what I did with my milk. So, you know, this is real food. Handmade by people who love what they do. This is Cheese by Hand. Today on Cheese by Hand, we introduce you to John and Heather Fiscalini, owners of the Fiscalini Farmstead Cheese Company in Modesto, California. I love toys and I love technology. I mean, that, the barn that I've got is, is full of technology, but I think it pays for itself. And my tagline on my email is, is merging technology with a reverence of our land to achieve sustainability. And I believe that. I, I think sustainability in a dairy farm or in any kind of farming is not going back to the old ways. But, you know, taking technology and still having this dedication, this reverence to your land and your animals and what you do, merging those together is, is how we're going to achieve sustainability for the next generation. In a perfect world, everyone would have 12 cows and be able to service 2 million people with them. <laughs> but it's not. It can't happen. You know, it's just... We have to accept volume, and where else can you find volume cheese produced, handcrafted in a in a in a more perfect setting than what John has created, state of the art farm? Um, I think that's very important. Surely, if if your quality of cheese is is jeopardized by volume, then I say go backwards and then, you know, produce less. But we have not found that to be such yet. John Fiscalini is a fourth-generation dairy farmer. His great-grandfather emigrated from Switzerland, and his grandfather was born a dairy farmer in California. Initially, his grandfather had his dairy in Cambria, California, just north of San Luis Obispo on the California coast. But he heard about a project that would forever change the agricultural landscape of the state, a dam under construction in the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas that would irrigate a desert area known as the San Joaquin Valley. He bought land there before the canals were in place and laid the foundation for future generations of his family to farm. Dairy farming practices have undergone tremendous change during the near 100 years that the Fiscalinis have farmed their land. John's grandfather started out milking maybe 20 cows back in 1914, and by the time John was a teenager, they were up to 250 cows and had largely moved away from keeping the cows on pasture full-time. 
One of John's first acts of rebellion at age 15, when he was left in charge of the farm for a couple of days, was to tear down some of the old wooden calving mangers and replace them with concrete and steel structures. All in his father's dime, of course. This was the first indication that he was interested in a new style of farming. The size and style of the Fiscalini's farm is sometimes a point of contention in the artisan cheese community. Milking 1,500 cows, they are indeed the largest farmstead creamery that we visited. But as far as confinement operations in California go, they are considered quite small. Given that his family had been farming for nearly a century on this land, I was curious as to why they had moved so far from what looked like a more affordable way to farm. Let the sun grow your feed and send the cows out to eat that feed and re-fertilize the land, rather than keeping the cows in one place, bringing the feed to them, and washing the waste away. No, I would argue that point. I think there's more money to be made on a confinement facility with a TMR. A total mixed ration is a, a number of different feedstuffs that are actually put together in a truck that has augers inside it, and the augers mix the feed together. So virtually 50% of what our cows eat is corn silage, and another 20% is uh, either alfalfa hay or oat hay or sedan hay, and the remaining 30% are uh, uh, grains of, of some sort, uh, very, very high in fats and oils and energy. So mixed together, so it comes out as kind of a, a very homogenous mix so the cows can't sort the good stuff from the bad stuff. That way the cows actually get everything that they're supposed to eat on a daily basis because we have a, a nutritionist that tells us exactly what to feed every single cow every day. And if we do what he says, each cow gets a, a ration that is completely down to amino acids, completely balanced for that cow, given what her stage of lactation is and how much milk she's producing for the day. Uh, I mean, you get much higher production than on a grass base or a, a meadow-based type, type dairy. Uh, never considered it here because of the price of property. I'm looking at, at the possibility of moving out of state at you know, long time in the future, but I'm laying the groundwork because we're a mile and a half from subdivisions and they're not moving this way quickly, but there's still, what, 500,000 people a year move into California. I can envision having some pasture, but I, I don't envision ever saying let's go on 100% or have 100% of the cows on the pasture even in the, even in the summer. Partially because of the, I mean, the size of the herd. I don't expect that I'm going to go move somewhere else and have a smaller herd. But you're talking a huge number of acres if you try to go with pasture. And I think my management skills are, you know, are, are set that I manage a TMR confinement facility very well, you know, with extremely good cow comfort. Cow comfort. I love hearing John talk about this because it breaks down the assumption that anyone in the dairy business trying to make a living would somehow be hardened to or even disconnected from the experience of the cow. This is one of the things that makes the Fiscalinis so interesting. They are rigorous in their efforts to give the cows the best experience possible within their system, which is a system that has been highly criticized for a lack of consideration to animals. You'll hear John talk about issues that smaller dairy farmers don't, 
like ventilation and animal abuse. And this is partly because he's up against the somewhat negative assumptions people have about what happens on dairy farms with more than 100 cows. The sun rising and falling doesn't affect the shade of the cows for the most part. We've got it built so that the prevailing winds uh, go into the barn at the highest point. So we get the, the majority of those winds will cool more cows than if we'd oriented the dairy, you know, you know with a 90% rotation. We've got a, uh, a slope that the cows, that the barns are on so that when we do our flush system, we, we clean the manure away from the cows very quickly. We have added uh, cooling fans. We've got soaking pipes. We have a computer system that runs all that. We've got rubber mats underneath the cow's feet in most of the areas. I mean, that's that's one of the, th the top thing on my wish list is to buy some more of those when the, when the money is available. And they're extremely expensive. But, you know, that way the cows are on rubber rather than concrete. You know, so those those are the kind of things we've built into it. You know, and then the the other piece of that puzzle is is employee training. You know, we do not allow employees to to hit cows. We do not allow employees to yell at cows. We have actually fired people for for whistling and yelling and making too much noise to disturb cows. You know, you will not find a stick, a, 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 a belt, any kind of device uh, on our dairy that, that can be used to strike an animal and, and inflict pain. And if a person is found with one of those in his possession, he's terminated immediately. But, you know, our, our lifestyle is the cows... The cows are our lifestyle. They are what brings money to me, and we want to treat them with as much respect as we can while they're here with us. I mean, you know, when we're done with them, they, they go into another part of the food chain, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the way it's done. But while they're here, while they're under my control, they are treated as, as kindly and ethically as they possibly can. Everyone says, oh, well, you know, um, added value and everything. Well, the cheese business has been a drain on a very successful dairy. So, you know, people that, that, you know, might think in their minds that we've gone into this artisan cheese business to make a killing, we're only taking 8 or 10% of our milk, which we actually buy back from Nestle Corporation. Never leaves the farm, comes from the cow into the tank, right to the cheese room, but we have to buy it back from Nestle. There is an interesting myth that circulates about dairy farmers going into the artisan cheese business to make a fast buck. And it would be easy to presume that this is why the Fiscalinis got into it. But think about John's ambition to have a connection to the fruits of his labor in the way that former generations of his family did not. He wants a connection to the milk that he and his employees worked so hard to produce. His cheesemaker, Mariano Gonzalez, one of the most celebrated artisan cheesemakers in the United States, got what the Fiscalinis were about immediately when he met them nearly eight years ago. You can see a farm with 1,500 cows, and you see so far how long we've been here. Extended up. 20 minutes, how many fly came to your face? Two, three. So clean, they will... They take care so well the animals. I was just like, oh man, I have to work for this guy. He's 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 know what he's doing. He likes what he's doing. He really care about what he's doing and the animals. And when when we talk about the cheese, he just wanna he just don't want to make a lot of cheese. He wants something really, really good, something that can, you know, he can put his name behind and that product can help 
what he wants to do. I want to be a cheesemaker. I want to make the very best cheese in the world. Okay? I mean, Mariano and I both agree that what, why we are both in business together is we want to make the best cheese in the world. And we both have a goal to do that. We may die trying. We may actually make it. But I also don't want Mariano to be a pauper. I want his children to go to college, and I want him to have the best things in life. Nor do I want to be a pauper. So in order for both of us to have the lifestyle we, that I want both of us to have, we're not going to have some little podunk dairy where we climb a hill uh, and milk cows by hand to make this cute little batch of cheese that someone can pay us whatever, you know, an exorbitant price that allows us to actually have the very basics of life. Not wanting to live like a pauper sounds reasonable enough, right? Until you listen to the complexity of the economics involved in producing high-quality milk and handcrafted cheeses let alone getting them through distributors and retailers and into the mouths of consumers. Payroll taxes and all that kind of stuff and whatever. So by the time the cheese leaves the cheese room onto the truck, it's close to five bucks a pound. Transportation virtually anywhere is going to be a minimum of 50 cents. And whoever bought it is going to immediately double the price um, to, to whomever... I mean, if, if a, a distributor, by the time the distributor gets the cheese to the end user, they're going to double the price. So if the cheese, if I've got $5 into the cheese, I actually do want to make a profit on that. So we're selling it for six or more. And our aged cheeses obviously have longer time in the in the storage room. So some of those are going for seven and eight. If that trucking costs 50 cents, magically the trucking gets doubled by the distributor who paid $7 for the cheese and $0.50 cents for the trucking. It's now seven fifty. But when that guy says, I'm going to double the cost of the cheese, he doubles the cost of everything that went through the whole supply chain. So the cheese is now in the grocery store at 16 to $25 a pound. You know, the average guy that goes to the grocery store and says, gee, I want to buy this cheese, expects that when they put it in their mouth that it's going to have met all of these these uh, qualifications, that, that it's not going to have any bad things in it, that it's going to be, you know, somewhat. It's going to meet certain specifications that the government has put out there. They keep adding more hoops all the time, and those those are very very expensive hoops. So you know that's the cost of the cheese when it gets, like I say, when it gets onto the truck. I've got five bucks into it. Well, I'm certainly not going to sell it for less than the five bucks five I've got into. Seven. Even if you can see your name on a beautiful piece of cheese, is that really enough to motivate a dairy farmer to get into the cheese business? Seems like these businesses would dovetail together so nicely, but the skills and knowledge required for making and selling cheeses are completely different than those needed to run a successful dairy farm. It won't be easy, and we've established that it won't make you loads of money. So why would John Fiscalini do it? Looking at my three children and, and having conversations with them as teenagers, at the time that that I got into this, all three of them really thought that they wanted to come back and have something to do with the farm. And and you can say, wow, you know, you got this large business. It's still a family business. But you, you can say, wow, you know, you've got this 1,500 cow herd and 500 acres. Of course there's room for three people to, to manage. There's not. You know, I mean, with, with the the margin that we operate on, I couldn't bring three of my children back in here and try to pay them the kind of salary that I think they would deserve as managers just on the dairy. 
But adding this this cheese company gives room for another one of them to come in and say, okay, one of you could manage the dairy, one of you could manage the cheese company. You figure out where the third one fits or how they fit. So part of it was the fact, okay, I want another company for the kids. And if they don't want any part of it, you know, then I can sell it off someday and spend their inheritance before they get to it. Um, did that answer the question or did I get off the subject? No, that was good. Okay. At least John still has a sense of humor as sobering as the economics of his business might be. And even with the challenges involved in adding a creamery to their existing dairy business, the Fiscalinis are finding that it is well worth their efforts. That's, what I think, what makes John so happy about this whole situation of really not making a lot of money from this, but to hear somebody say, that is the best cheese I have ever tasted. You know, and we hear it over and over and over again, unsolicited, you know, they put the piece of cheese in their mouth and they come out with it. They might walk away and then they come back to the table and they say, this is the best cheese I've ever tasted. <laughs> and we love it. It's, it's That's a daymaker. Right.